0: Today is Sunday. You nailed it. Open your Bibles to the Book of Romans. We're starting the Book of Romans this morning. What a good time to start digging into such an incredible book of the Bible. So I hope that that you're prepared this morning. And I want to challenge you guys in three things, okay? I want to challenge you in... Uh, that the Lord has something for you through this study of Romans. And I'm not saying that just as like some pastor that throws out obscure blessings. God has something special for you personally through this study that I know he wants to give you. And I need you. I want you to be in a place this morning and to prepare your heart for the next two years as we go through this book. It won't be that long. But I want you to be prepared to receive what the Lord has for you. It's something special. One of the things uh, that we're going to see as a theme throughout the whole book of Romans and something that we're going to focus on because if Paul's focus was this, then we should also focus on it, right? It's the righteousness of God, that we have a righteous God. And we're going to get into it a little bit more in the message, but we need to be in a place of understanding today. The second thing I'd like you to do is consider that you do some things right, and that's great, but there's some things that you don't do right. God does everything right. You know why? Because he's righteous. He is our righteous God. So look at our lives as we go through and say, God, what am I doing right, which is good, and what am I doing that's not right? See, I could say wrong, but it sounds so much better, doesn't it, when we say, it's just not right, it's just not what's supposed to be happening in our lives. So, so those two things, and then be prepared, the third thing, to respond to what those things may be the right and the wrong, to be able to respond to the Lord in what he has, that special nugget, that special thing for you that he does have. You'd be receptive to hear it. You'd be willing to to notice what the difference is, and you'd be diligent to apply it so that through this study, the person that you are sitting in that chair this morning you're going to be a completely different person by the time that we end. The book of Romans has transformed people's lives. People like Martin Luther did the, uh, started the, the, uh, the Reformation. I almost said revolution. It kind of was. He started the Reformation because of his study of the book of Romans. He's just one of many whose lives were altered. The trajectory, the course of their life was changed forever because of God's word in studying through this book. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time that we get to dive into it together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this place that we're in right now as your church. Lord, we have seen you move and work. We can see the momentum that that you've placed, Lord, in our church right now, And we pray, God, that your word here in Romans would continue to transform our hearts, to transform our thinking, to draw us closer to you than we ever have been before, that we would truly receive these blessings that you have for us, and that we would be looking more like people, more like a church that looks like you through and to the end of this study of this book, God. We look at people historically. You changed whole nations with your word. We pray, God, today that you would change one thing, our hearts, and that we as individuals coming together as your church would be able to go out and bring that change to our country right now. That so desperately needs you. We love you and we ask that you would bless this study in Jesus name. Amen. So typically what we do when we start a new book of the Bible is the first uh, the first teaching or the first message is, is an introduction. Of the whole book. We are going to dive in and do the first 17 verses this morning, but it is going to be more of an introduction to the book of Romans to set the stage for us, to prepare us to be in the right place to to be receiving what the Lord has. So let's uh, look at a few things uh, before we jump in. All right, so first of all, at this time, we don't know exactly. Why Paul wrote this letter to the Church in Rome, why he's addressing it, there, there were reasons uh, there were a, a pur- there was a purpose there had to be for him wanting to do it, but it's not spelled out for for us. There's other letters that, that have specific intentions, but Romans is kind of it, it, many people believe it it's kind of like a, a theological discourse for the whole world and Rome at that time was for all, for lack of better terms, it was like the the center of the world, it was the capital city of all the earth and and there, we know from the book of Acts that there were Jews present in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell there were Jewish Romans who went back to Rome. So whatever point uh, they went back and started a church, it probably didn't look like the way a church starts nowadays. It probably looked like people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, them having fellowship, home groups, spending life together. And then as this turned into more of a church, there were issues and things that needed to be addressed. And this isn't... Paul necessarily correcting them on any one thing. It's, it's a presentation of what the gospel of God is supposed to be. That's going to be the verse that we're going to park on this morning. That is verse 17. We're, we can't start there, but that's where we're going to end up getting and spending a lot of our time this morning. Uh, from history, we know that it was written anywhere between 53 and 55 AD. This is about 20 years or so after. After Jesus had died on the cross, so you get a little bit of context. What happened in your life 20 years ago? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I don't even know how old I was, 15. What was happening in your life 20 years ago? 20 years ago from the point when this letter was written, Jesus Christ had died on the cross for the sins of the world, and now the gospel is rapidly spreading through the whole earth. Specifically with Rome as the center of that, all roads, it was said back then, you guys have probably heard it, all roads lead to Rome. It was perfect timing for the spreading of the gospel. People were traveling, merchants were going to and from the city, and the timing was perfect for the gospel to be spread. The average length of a New Testament letter is just under a thousand words, the average length. Paul's average length of his letters that he writes is around 1,300 words. The book of Romans is 7,100 words. 7,100 words. Paul is is really diving into the purpose of God, giving us the gospel and his son, Jesus Christ. That was the two-year joke. Now let's, let's open up and start in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul introduces himself in this greeting. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he prophesied before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now, there's two words in in this first section. We saw one of them in this reading. We're going to see the other one at the end. But there's two words that we're going to see more than anything else in the book of Romans. There's actually three words that stand out uh, More than anything else. First of all, no other book in the Bible references or talks about God, the name God or the word God, more than in the book of Romans. This is Paul's focus. He's always going back to who God is, what God's purpose was for mankind. The second thing that we see and the word that we just looked at is faith. Faith is an interesting thing, faith is what changed the course of history when Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the Wittenberg door in Germany. He realized that it wasn't by works that man could be saved, but it was by faith alone. It was by God's grace. So we have a study of God. We're going to look at that involvement as far as our faith is concerned. And then the third thing we've already mentioned, and you can see on the slide, is the righteousness of God. Righteous. Paul starts off by saying uh, in his introduction, I am Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. There's four things that Paul addresses in these first six verses, seven verses that uh, that we're going to pull out and and focus on this morning. The first thing Paul addresses is Paul's view of himself in his introduction. He, he, this is how he sees himself. You know, it's important for us as people to have a, a, a view or a perspective of, of who we are personally. It's important. And this is Paul's perspective of who he is. The first thing that he says, I'm Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what a bondservant is? A bondservant is a Slave. And it's not just a regular slave. What kind of slave is a bondservant? A bondservant is a slave by choice. See, many people can be taken into slavery. We even have forms of modern day slavery. We're not going to get into this morning, but but even in the sense of, of in, uh, being in America, what kind of uh, things are we enslaved to? Debt is one thing, you you can't not go to work because you don't want to go. You have to go to work because you got to pay your bills because you you are not able to step away and, and be worry-free. You go to a lot of countries in the world, guess what? It's not like that. In fact, most countries in the world, they still live on very close to, if they can, a cash system where you don't get it if you don't have the money in your hand. But we like to think that there's only certain really bad kinds of slavery, you know, like... Uh, trafficking, human trafficking, and, and, and parts of the world where slavery is still active. And that's terrible. That's bad. But there's, I think, things nowadays, like as far as we're concerned with, with our debt and, and with credit, we, we become slaves by choice. Those are decisions that we make, not decisions that somebody else made for us. Now, I understand that things happen sometimes, and that, you know, it's out of our control. But we don't want to be those kind of slaves that are subjected to something that, that, is, that is not good. Paul's identity from the very beginning is that he is a slave. He is a slave by choice to Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a good job before? You know, like a job that you just could do for the rest of your life. Or even thought, like, I'd like to do this kind of job for the rest of my life. It was fulfilling. You loved to do it. And not only did you like doing it and love to do it, but you got paid to do it. That's how I feel sometimes, you know. I love being a pastor. It's the best job in the world. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's only one problem with being a pastor. You guys know what it is? People. People stink. People stink. Like literally, they smell sometimes. I love it. I love what God has called me to do. And I can identify with Paul when I say, Man, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I want to submit myself to the will of God fully. And in me submitting my will to Him, I, I receive the kind of satisfaction that that everybody's looking for. But it's not an identity, it's not in a job, it's not in a career. It's in my position in Jesus. It's that I placed myself under God's perfect will. And I'm no longer taking my life into my own hands. I'd say, God, I am your slave. I I am submitting myself to you. And in that, God can do in and through my life more things than I could ever do on my own. It's the most important thing, the most important position for Paul to have, especially considering what God had him doing at that day and age. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Do you know what an apostle is? Literally, the word apostle means somebody who's sent out. It doesn't mean this, the kind of ways that these churches twist apostolic ministry and make it into something that it's not. You're not a fortune teller if you have an apostolic ministry. An apostle is somebody that God says he has set apart and sent out for the preaching of the gospel. Not the preaching of how wealthy you can be, not the preaching of how God wants you healthy and wealthy, not the preaching of your happiness. The preaching of the gospel, which is us submitting ourselves to the will of God, becoming bondservants so that we can understand and receive true satisfaction in life. So Paul says, I'm a slave. I've been sent out. The next thing he says, I've been separated to the gospel of God. God said, Paul, I have a special job for you. I'm going to separate you from everything else. It's, it's to pro- preach and proclaim my gospel. Nowadays, I think sometimes we've, you know, not us, we. But some churches and society has fallen away from the true meaning of what the gospel is. It's reconciliation to God. It's not fancy community that makes us feel good and we get together and hang out and eat finger foods. It's not just that. It's relationship with God, it's going out and telling other people, it's telling people. Paul will later say in Romans, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's speaking the word of God to people, inviting them to church, seeing God also change and transform their lives. Separated to the gospel, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This isn't something new. This isn't God saying, I'm going to give something different a shot. You know, this whole thing with Israel was a joke. Those guys never could get it together. I gave them a law and I parted a sea and I gave them water from a rock and they just didn't get it. So I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something different. Well, God does do something new and he does do something different, but it had been prophesied and foretold since the beginning of the creation of the world. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, the reason that we have that example is to see what God's intentions were from the beginning for humankind. That's when the gospel started. God says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to come down and walk through the garden with my creation in the cool of the day. I want to converse with you. That's the perfect picture of what the gospel is, even for us today. God says, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross to reconcile you from your sin so that we can have a relationship with each other. That's what the gospel is. That's the purpose of the gospel. And it's not something new in the sense it's completely different. It's something that was foretold through the prophets and the holy scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul goes from himself. The second thing he he starts to talk about is his preaching, the preaching of the gospel we just covered. And then the third was Paul's view of his commission. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. You can circle that. Faith, if you want. That's the first time that we see this word faith in the book of Romans. We're going to see it many times in the future. Jesus was demonstrated as the Son of God very clearly by what he did. He demonstrated that he was the Son of God. And then to put the icing on the cake, so to speak... Uh, what's the best proof that you can get that somebody is who they said they are? Raised from the dead. <laughs> there was once a man who consulted one of his friends and said, I'm about to uh, start my own religion. You know, There was a t- times of, of, of history, and even today people try this. Did you know that? We're going to start our own religion. It's, you know, let, let's see how, how much traction we can get. And he's talking to his friend. He said, I want to start a new religion. What do you think some of the foundational elements of of my religion should be to his friend? He said, well, the best case scenario, what you should do if you're starting a new religion is you should have some people murder you and then rise from the dead three days later. Then I think you're going to get people's attention. I think we've disconnected a little bit from uh, the power, the demonstration of power that Jesus showed by his resurrection from the dead. And Paul says, this is what qualifies Jesus as the Son to be the Savior. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now, we know the gospel to be true. We know what happened with Jesus. Uh, we believe it. That's why it's called faith. It's not something that we necessarily could see or saw, but it's something that we apply in our lives and, that, and we believe, right? And this isn't just something that's localized in Jerusalem. This is something that spread miraculously all over the whole world. Look at how Jesus has affected history. Whenever I travel or go places, it's so interesting to meet and to talk to new Christians, not like new believers, but people who are Christians that live on the other side of the world. And it's like once we start talking and dialoguing that it's like we've known each other almost. There's that kinship. There's that connection with Jesus as the head. Verse 7, To all who were in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He addresses his letter to the, those who were in Rome. This would be to people who are Jews and Gentiles. This is, this is the big picture church in Rome. And he says to them, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, again, just like the word apostle, uh, there's people who have changed the meaning of certain words. So if any of you hear that God's called you to be a saint and you're getting scared right now, it's okay. Don't worry. The biblical definition of a saint is somebody who is alive, not somebody who's dead and receives sainthood. Okay? Okay. So God's intentions for you today is your holiness. Another scary word. What does holy mean? Holy means separate. Holy means different. In fact, the best definition that I like of the word holy is to be different. We're different from the world. We're different from everybody else. We're called to be holy. We're called to be different because God is holy God isn't like the rest of the world. He is different. Therefore, he has called us to be holy. And we, as his saints, are called to be his saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. One of Paul's signatures of the New Testament. Grace and peace. What do you think when you think of grace and peace. I think of everything that I want from life. (laughs) Grace is the unmerited favor of God and peace is that relationship, that peace with Him. And it applies to all parts of our life. In everything that I do, I hope and I pray for the grace of God. In fact, it was such a a cornerstone of my faith personally that God gave me a wife whose name is Grace. And I could talk about Grace... Well, not just her, but, you know, I could talk about God's grace all day long because it's something that He that He really wanted me to understand. And I went through seasons of life that were very difficult, very trying. And each time I would go through a new season, God would show me a different aspect or a different perspective of His grace. And then I, I started to understand that, that God's grace was multifaceted. It was was differently applied to different positions or places I was in life. this is something that Paul wants to open up with to this church that's thriving now in Rome. God's grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So now Paul's focus is no longer on himself, what his calling is, his preaching, what God's intentions for the gospel are. He transitions into them. He's writing the letter to them, and what's the first thing that he says to them? Your faith is known in in the entire world. I've always been a reader. I like to read books. When we go on trips, when we go camping and, and things, um, I'm not able to read. I tried; it wasn't. It didn't turn out really good. So. I'm not able to read, so Grace reads. We read a book together. She reads out loud, out loud and we alternate between um, tracking with what the book's saying and screaming at our kids to be quiet so that we can, we can hear each other. It's healthy, I'm sure. But they hear some of these things too. Right now we're reading a book called 25 Notable Marriages. It goes throughout history and focuses on 25 people who uh, had really good, and, and some had really bad marriages. They're all Christians, but, and the, the, they are all these couples throughout history. I love reading those kinds of books, especially when it talks about uh, 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 the process of life that they went through, especially when they're biographies or autobiographies, but especially biographies. Because it's somebody else's perspective of what that person went through. When I look at my life and I look at the books that we read and some of these people, sometimes I get a little frustrated, you know? Like, man, how come my life can't look like that? How come my faith isn't at that same place that that person's is? Will it ever be at that point? Here's the reality. Each of us have been given a measure of faith. It's up to us to use that portion of faith to do what God has us to do in life. It's up to us. We've each been given a measure or a portion of faith. And my measure of faith is different from the measure of faith that God gave to you. It looks differently. But one thing it does do is it stirs me up to see other people taking steps of faith, and it's the kind of man of God that I want to be today. I want to be trusting the Lord today. I want to be willing to make decisions that aren't just going to benefit me, but I'm doing it for the kingdom of God to bless him so that his name is known. And these people, these Christians in Rome, Paul says they were known for their faith. You guys are known around the world. What's one thing I said at the beginning that you should do as we go through Romans? See what the Lord has to speak to your heart, the season that you're in right now. What is the thing that he wants you to respond to? One of the things that he did in my heart, even just now as we were talking about it, is that I would like and I pray that our church would be known for its faith. That we would look at each other's lives and be in awe at the faith that is demonstrated and displayed in our individual walks with the Lord. That our faith would be known and talked about in other places other than just our fellowship. That other people will hear, man, those people at Paradise Calvary Chapel, those people are people of faith. We can't just demonstrate faith by doing things that we think are going to make God look good. We demonstrate faith by being submitted to the Father and having open ears and willing and and ready to receive what He wants us to do so in our response it could be a demonstration of faith. I want that for me. I want it for you. I want it for our church The church in Rome, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I will, I will to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Again, we see faith is the cornerstone that Paul is setting for this church in Rome. Why does Paul want to go so badly to Rome? And he has not been able to go to this point. Because God is doing something in Rome. The gospel is being preached. People's lives are being changed. I would want to go to Rome too. (laughs) I want to be in the midst. That's one of the things that, that is I believe, and I don't know where you stand. You have to answer that question for yourself. But I believe that God is doing amazing things in our body, in our church. We're in the midst of a season that God is is blessing us and revealing himself to us. And man, I, I am stoked to be here. If I wasn't here, if I was somewhere else, I'd be looking how to get here. Paul says, I want to go to you guys and I want to be a part of this process. I even have, in boldness, he says, I even have something to offer you, to establish you in your faith so that you continue to grow, so that we are mutually benefited, encouraged together by our mutual faith, both you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul has not been able to go to Rome yet. Paul really wants to go to Rome. It's not the right timing in God's schedule to allow Paul to go. So every time Paul's tried to go, the Lord says, it's not time, Paul. I don't want you to go yet, Paul. There's other people that I want you to go see and talk to and preach to, Paul. It's not Rome yet. I can do something in Rome that you're not necessarily a part of right now because I don't necessarily need you in Rome. Sometimes that's how I feel as well. God doesn't need me to do a work here. This is God's church. This is God's work. And that's how I always want to perceive it. That's how we all should always perceive it. When we find ourselves in a position of how, uh, thinking, oh, this church can't continue to, to grow and be blessed if I'm not here, then we're in the wrong place. Because it's not us that does the work. It's God that does the work. And as, as strong as that sounds, it's true. Because if God did need Paul in Rome, he would have taken him there. Oh, I got this guy, Paul smashing i'm gonna send to to rome and everybody's gonna get saved no god was doing a work in rome and paul says i want to come badly i want to see what's going on but god has not allowed me to this point i was hindered that i might have some fruit among you also just as among the other gentiles I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Do you know why God didn't want Paul to go to Rome yet? We, I mentioned one thing, you know, there was other places that God wanted him to go, other people to preach to. But do you know where the last place that, that we know of that that Paul was? It was either Rome or Spain. But most likely... Paul was martyred in Rome. So, the last place that Paul would be, the last time he would preach the message of the cross, was in this great city that he is always trying to get to. But God said, Hold on a little bit longer. It's not time yet. You're going to get there. You're going to have a a fruitful experience. You're going to get to share the gospel. It's just not time yet. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the key For you and for me this morning. This is the focus. What's God's intention in in bringing the gospel to mankind? Verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. Do you know that God is righteous? I used to pride myself on being right. It was consumed my whole life. I wanted to be right. Do you know what the definition of my last name is? Warholic? Is it somebody that likes to go to war? The root word for the definition of warholic is squabbler. That's what I was. I was a contender. I wanted to fight with my words, and I won. My great uncle used to have this saying that he would say to me all the time when I was growing up. He said, Tim, I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong. And I took that, and I put it on my mantle. And I've shared with you before, I wanted to be an attorney. I loved the law and going in a courtroom and and arguing and winning arguments for money. Lots of money. God had a different plan, thankfully. But that's what my life was all about. It was about being right. I wanted to be right. My relationship with my parents started to deteriorate. I turned 18. I left the house because I was right. They were wrong. I was right about everything in my life until the point came when guess what happened? I realized that I was wrong. That's how God got a hold of my life because my focus and motivation and my direction was always uh, selfishly positioned. I was always right. And I'll never forget the night that that the Lord told me, he spoke to me and said, you can keep living your life like this and this is what you're going to get from it. I was in a bad place. This is is the kind of stuff that your life is going to have to offer you if this is what you keep doing in life. Or you can follow me, you can really follow me, not just call yourself a Christian or start going to church. You can follow me, and I will change your life. Because you are not right, Tim. I am right. I am righteous. That's what we get when we look at righteous God. And this is the story of all humanity, if I can be so bold. We've been all over the world, and I've talked to all kinds of people, and it's funny. You know, you go to a country that's small, that has 4.5 million people, population in the whole country, and you talk to the locals there, you know what they say to you? Our country is the best country in the world, and the way they do things are the best way to do things, and they're right, and everybody else is wrong. This is the pride of life. This is opposition to God. And when when we come to the place, when you and I come to the place where we say, God is right, he gives us the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate that he's right, that he's righteous. And in his righteousness, we start to have right relationship. Right relationship with Him. Right relationship with each other. Our life is changed when we talk and consider of the righteousness of God. Here's a quote from Martin Luther. Listen closely to what Martin Luther said about God's righteousness. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness, whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing unrighteousness. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. We can look at the righteousness of of God in two ways. We can look at the righteousness of God through the lens or the eyes of God is right and I'm always wrong and he's always going to punish me. But when we look at it through the lens of the gospel, that's not what righteousness of God is at all. It's God giving us grace that through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, we can be saved, we can have salvation and enter into a right relationship with him for all eternity. You know why? Because God is righteous. Another purpose of God's righteousness, I think, you know, people say things like, why did God wait so long? Or why did God do it that way? Why did God have to send his son? Listen, you know why? Because God is righteous. God couldn't say, I don't want you guys to be affected by your own sin anymore, so I'm just going to take you out of it. He couldn't. He 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 put the ball in motion. And and the the Law of reaping and sowing was put into place where we as human beings, we had to reap what we were going to continually to sow into. So it wasn't possible if God is a righteous judge and he's a righteous God, it wasn't possible for him to just take us out of our sinfulness and put us into some utopia without experiencing some of the consequences of sin. Being a righteous God, somebody had to pay the price for that sin so that there can be reconciliation to God. In comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I give my son to pay the penalty of sin so that my righteousness can be demonstrated and you can be reconciled back to me. As we think about God's righteousness today and we look at How it's going to be a theme through the book of Romans. Let's position ourselves in such a place where we're willing to start asking now and not stop, hopefully. Let's be willing to place ourselves in a position where our heart is is directed toward God and saying, "I, I want to be a partaker of your righteousness. What does that mean? It means, God, you're righteous. I'm not always righteous. I want to be like you. It's not being perfect. It's not not making mistakes. It's not having a checklist of things that you have to do every day to be a righteous person. It's just submitting yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ and asking him what things need to be addressed so that my life can look more like who you want me to be, who you intended me to be since you formed me in my mother's womb. Let's pray. God, we ask that not only would that be our prayer or that would be something that we think about, that we, we pray, Lord, that it would be something that starts happening right now. That as we seek you, you will reveal yourself to us in righteousness. Righteousness. And that we come to a place in our lives where we don't always have to be right. That we focus on and trust in that you are right. You are righteous. And it's by your righteousness that we were saved from our own sin. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for using your servant. Paul to say these things by your spirit. Prepare us Lord, prepare our hearts to be that fertile soil that receives these seeds so that we can produce good fruit fruit unto your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank yeah. you.